0: Love it, love Youth Sunday, uh, love, uh, love uh, being served by the youth of our church who are not uh, the future of, a chur- of our church, they are our church right now, just as much as any of us boring old grown-ups are, the youth are, you are 100% a part of our church, and so thank you so much for using your gifts uh, to share our, uh, to, to sharing your gifts with our body, uh, what a blessing that is, uh, let's praise the Lord, to thank them for, for their serving this morning. Hunter, if I had a dollar for every time, specifically Andy London said something and messed me up up here, I would be in a different tax bracket. You don't think about that for another second, okay, buddy? You did an awesome job this morning. Praise the Lord. Well, hey, church, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are going to be in chapter 6, verses 17 through 27 This morning, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 27, as we continue on in our series, Jesus and the Kingdom of God. So as you're turning to Luke chapter 6, I am going to pray for us for the preaching of God's Word. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you for um, just uh, this time uh, to enjoy one another in fellowship as a church family, God, and uh, to enjoy you, Lord, and I pray that this morning our eyes would just be fixed right on you. Um, Wherever everyone is in, in this place right now, you know exactly where they are in life. You know exactly the burdens and struggles that they walked in here with this morning, Lord. You know the condition of our hearts, you know the sins that we've struggled with, and uh, you know every way that we have failed you this week, and you have forgiven us, Father, and we praise you for that. So may we just, uh, may, may we celebrate in the glories and beauty of the gospel this morning, specifically as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 6. Use it to strengthen us and to encourage us, God. Uh, guard my words, uh, guard, guard my tongue, give me a humble heart and spirit as I preach your word, and may your spirit go forth in this place minister to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, being that it's Youth Sunday this morning, I thought it'd be fun to maybe start with some uh, would-you-rather questions so we could get to know each other a little bit better as a church body. So I'm going to read the would-you-rather question, and then I'll give you a chance. You just raise your hand if you would rather this thing or that thing. We all know how it works. So here's the first one. Would-you-rather... Uh, always be five minutes late wherever you're going or 30 minutes early wherever you're going. So five minutes late, people, raise your hand. All right, I fall into that category. 30 minutes early, people, raise your hand. Whoa! Whoa! That's uh, very interesting. Raise your hand if this is not a hypothetical, if you are actually always five minutes late wherever you go. And raise your hand if this is not a hypothetical, you are always 30 minutes early wherever you go. Raise your hand if it's your father who's always 30 minutes early and it drives you nuts. There's got to be a couple of us. Yeah, there's a couple of us in here. All right, next one. This might go long. Would you rather always, wherever you go, be chronically underdressed or chronically overdressed? So wherever you go, you're, you're not wearing clothes that are fancy enough or you're wearing clothes too fancy underdressed people raise your hand that's a good majority seems like overdressed rather be overdressed okay actually pretty split 50 50. Uh, okay this one is to uh to see who the crazy people are in our church would you rather live where it's year-round winter or year-round summer year-round summer raise your hand all right now where's the crazy ones year-round winter Uh, okay we'll have to talk after the service okay this one's a little uh Uh, A little more disturbing. Would you rather find a rat in your kitchen or a roach in your bed? Raise your hand if you'd rather find a rat in your kitchen, roach in your bed, more rat in the kitchen. That's fascinating. I would, I'm a... A roach-in-the-bed person. We had a lot of roaches in the apartment we lived in in Louisville, so that might be part of it. And if you want to hear a disturbing story about mice making a nest in somebody's bed, talk to the longs after the service. They told me a story three years ago that I still think about once a week. It, it, uh, It haunts me to this day. All right, last one. I'm going to read you two lists this time. You need to tell me which one you prefer. Would you rather be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated... Poor, rich, full, laughing, and popular. All right, so who would rather be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated? <laughs> who would rather be rich, full, laughing, and popular? Who's like, I'm not answering this one. I feel like there's a trick. There's a couple of you, yep. You're right, there's a trick. Uh, if you raise your hand for the second one, then uh, Jesus says you're wrong. So that's, uh, no, just kidding. That was not very nice of me. Um, trick question. If it's up to us, every single one of us would choose that second list. Obviously, right? However... Our passage this morning, the whole point of our passage this morning that Jesus is making is that the first list is better. So that's the point of the text. Jesus says it's better to be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated than it is to be rich, full, laughing, and popular. This is a little bit backwards to how we would normally think, right? So our work is cut out for us a little bit this morning. Our job is to figure out what on earth did Jesus mean by this? Why did he say that it's better to be poor, hungry, and weeping and hated than it is to be rich and full and laughing and popular? And not only why did he say that, but why is that actually really good news uh, that Jesus says it's better to be that first list? So before we do that, we should actually read the passage. So I'm going to read from verses... Uh, 17 to 26, and then we'll try to make some sense of it. So look there with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. We get to the meat of our passage this morning, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Okay, so if you've been in, been here for the last couple weeks as we've been going through this series on Jesus and the kingdom of God, I, you know I've been giving you these different tools in your toolbox for studying the Gospels. We don't have time to go back through all of them this morning, so you'll just have to go back and watch if you missed anything, but we, I have a new tool for you this morning. It's, it's a nice one. It's like a brand new Milwaukee drill. It's a real nice tool. I used to be a DeWalt man. I'm more of a Milwaukee person now, but that's besides the point, but anyways, here's the, uh, here's the new tool that i I have for your toolbox in studying the Gospels. And this is it. In two words, you can write it down. Context matters. Context matters. Meaning, what is going on around the story is always going to be relevant to the story itself when you're reading a story in the gospels you always want to go back and see what has happened right before what's happened right in this chapter right before what's happened in the few chapters before what's going to happen after this story and so on and so forth context always matters and so in order to begin to understand this kind of weird would you rather that we started with this morning we need to understand what happened right before jesus said this See, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's starting to gain a bunch of disciples or or followers. And I'm not talking about the 12, he's just gaining a bunch of people who are following him. And then earlier in chapter 6, we see Jesus has this all-night prayer meeting with God. And then afterwards, he gets all of his disciples together and he chooses 12 of them to be his apostles, his closest disciples. Then verse 20 tells us this. It says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. I'm speaking to a whole crowd here, but he lifts up his eyes particularly on his disciples. And we need to catch the significance of this because of what's been going on in the story. These are the first words that we have recorded that Jesus speaks to his disciples after they are chosen to follow Him. What we have are the first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Now there's something that's really cool that's been happening here at Rock Prairie, which is that there's several people in this room who have either you're just started following Jesus or you're like just actually starting to really start following Jesus, if that makes sense, uh, really for the first time, uh, for real. Maybe you've known about him for a long time. And, and if that's you, if you kind of fall into that category, I want you to really listen to these words this morning, because what Jesus is doing in this passage is laying out exactly what his disciples can expect now that they are following him. So really, what we have this morning are words to new disciples He's telling his disciples what life is going to be like if they're really going to follow him. And so if you're new to your faith or you're new to taking your faith seriously, you need to hear these words this morning. Now, spoiler alert, it's going to be super convicting to all of us, no matter how long we've been following Jesus. But if if you're new in your faith, I want you to really listen and be encouraged because I just feel like Jesus is speaking these things to you this morning. So listen again what Jesus says starting in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. The first word to the new disciples that we see here is that Jesus wants you to have joy. Jesus wants you to have joy right now. Jesus' desire for you is to find joy and happiness and satisfaction. What word do we see repeated four times in these verses? What word? Blessed, blessed. The word blessed here basically means happy. Happy, it means favorable circumstances have come upon you. Now, the way that you can find happiness is very different than what we can expect, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want us to kind of even just camp out here on this idea that Jesus wants you to have joy. You see, that's great news. Some of you may have grown up or come from church traditions that didn't teach that at all, or certainly didn't live like that. Some of you may have come from church traditions that were really filled with people who were just like the older brother from the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that story. You remember him, right? His younger brother had just returned after everyone thought he was dead, after squandering his father's inheritance, and the father is throwing this huge party for him. And what's the older brother's reaction to that? Is he so excited to see his younger brother finally come home after they thought he was dead and he can't wait to join in on the celebration? Nope. What's he say? Where's my party? I've been here slaving away this whole time, doing everything the Father told me to do, and I'm not rewarded at all. It's not fair that he gets the party when I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do, and I don't get to have a party. What's up with that? You see what he's really saying here? Like, you see what's actually behind those words? He's saying, essentially... I think that living in God's house is something miserable that you have to endure if you want to eventually get to the reward of heaven. You see that? There's a lot of churches, honestly, (laughs) that operate that way. Hey, don't get too excited, don't get too carried away, don't be too filled with joy. There's a lot of rules you need to put up with if you want to be here. Let's not go throwing a party before we know if you're following all those rules, okay? The good news isn't that good, okay? I had some friends in college. I uh, went to Taylor uh, University in Upland, and they decided there's kind of right on the main drag there, there's this tiny country church. I don't know if it's still there or not, but they decided they were going to go and check it out and see what it was like, and so they went, and and uh, afterwards, I asked them how it was, they were like, it was horrible. <laughs> the pastor literally just yelled at us the whole time about how playing video games was gonna send us to hell. <laughs> and that was the sermon. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pick on other churches, okay? I hope you understand what I'm saying here. But if you've been part of something like that, if that's your idea of what following Jesus is, if growing up that's all that you heard, <laughs> that the good news isn't really that good, don't get too carried away with joy because we've got a lot of rules that we have to endure before we get to heaven, <laughs> That can be like profoundly scarring on your soul. Where's the the joy? Where's the delight in the gospel? And why are you so mad all the time? The point is, some of you may have grown up in that kind of guilt-driven, graceless church community. And it may have really affected you. And it may still affect how you relate to and think about God. Maybe you didn't necessarily grow up in a church like that, but you've just always struggled with how God sees you. Maybe you think God's like, yeah, I sent my son to die for you, but I'm not happy about it. The moment you start to find feeling your joy in Christ, maybe your inner older brother kicks in. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that's you, you need to see here. The very first words that Jesus speaks to his new disciples are words about what it looks like to be blessed, to have favorable circumstances come upon them, to have joy. Now we're about to see, like I said, that happiness and joy in the kingdom is totally different than how the world uh, preaches happiness, and that's good news too. But the point is the same. Jesus wants you to have joy. He doesn't take some sort of twisted delight out of making you miserable and just see how long you can last if you can make it to heaven or not. In fact, miserable Christian here, get, miserable Christian is an oxymoron, church. It's almost not physically possible. <laughs> if you're in Christ, you can't be miserable all the time. It doesn't mean we don't go through difficult things. I'm not saying that. So if that's you, if you look in the, Christ, in the mirror, you're like, yikes, I, that's kind of me, I'm kind of a miserable Christian. And that's, I, Lord willing, nobody in this room. But if that is you, if you sense that in your heart, you need to get with the Lord and figure out how you've allowed that older brother mindset to creep in. And if you've been hurt in your life by a church preaching something less than the full gospel of grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, grace greater than all our sin, And know that what you were taught, simply put, was not from God, church. Jesus wants you to have joy. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing we see, is that Jesus wants you to persevere. Jesus wants you to persevere. Put kind of your bookmark or your finger in Luke chapter 6 and turn with me over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. All right, Pastor Mike. If Jesus wants me to have joy, why is he saying that I'm blessed when I'm poor or hungry or weeping or hated? Well, first of all, we need to realize that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is not hypothetical in the least. Again, context matters. These 12 men were very much about to experience literal poverty More than they had before, and hunger and extreme grief, and they were going to be despised, and eventually, many of them were about to give up their very lives for what Jesus was going to do and teach. And so, He wasn't saying, just like, if you go about your life and these things happen to happen to you, just remember that you're blessed. He's saying, get ready, (laughs) buckle up, it's about to get real. He's preparing them for what's to come. He's preparing them for battle, is what he's doing. Now look at John chapter six. John chapter six begins with Jesus doing this incredible miracle. He feeds 5,000 people, and imagine if you're in that crowd, right? You've heard about Jesus. You come to hear his teaching. Everyone's getting hungry. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and says, here's enough food for everybody with 12 baskets to spare, right? That would be amazing. You would go away just like, You couldn't stop talking about Jesus. You'd be so excited. Did you believe what he just did? How did he even do that? All of a sudden, like I turned around and there's fish everywhere. (laughs) How do you do that, right? You'd be fired up for what Jesus is doing. But then what happens? The next day, he starts to teach. And what he starts to teach doesn't sit well with them at all. It's kind of crazy, actually talks about how he's the bread from heaven. Just like God provided manna to Israel in the wilderness, Jesus says, I am that bread from heaven. And then he goes one step further, and he says to them, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to have eternal life. That is a harder message to hear, right? What is he talking about? So look what happened then in verse 66. Look what the crowd started to do once Jesus started telling them something they didn't want to hear. It's really sad. Verse 66 of John 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, they liked Jesus who fed them bread and fish, but they didn't like the Jesus who said the only way to have eternal life is to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. I want you to hear from me. I say this because I love you from the bottom of my heart. But I fear that some of us might get excited about Jesus at first because he's starting to do some really cool things in my life. But then once we start to realize what following Jesus is actually like, there is a danger that you might be like these disciples who turn back and no longer walk with him. And Jesus gives his disciples fair warning here in Luke 6. He says, following me is going to mean poverty. Following me is going to mean hunger. Following me is going to mean weeping. Following me is going to mean you are going to be hated. Now, there's some people who teach the opposite, right? Following Jesus means smooth sailing, no more sickness, no more bills to pay, no more dead-end job, no more family conflict, no more ranch dressing. Nothing bad is ever going to befall you in your life. I can't stand ranch dressing. If any of you think you're going to play a funny joke and put some ranch dressing in my office, it's not a funny joke, so don't even go there. All bad things go away once you start following Jesus, right? I don't know what Bible those people are reading... But you need to know as you begin to follow Jesus, you're going to face a profound temptation to leave it all behind once it starts really getting personal. Once he starts chipping away at those things in your heart that you want to hang on to because they feel like your very life, Jesus says, Those are not your very life. I am your very life. But it's going to feel in some ways like your very life is being ripped away and you're going to face this unbelievable temptation. Be like, you know what? Maybe the loaves and the fish was some sort of trick and uh, this guy's a charlatan after all. Maybe those things that I thought he was doing in my life earlier, maybe it was coincidence. There's got to be a better way. So, look what Jesus said to his disciples after all the crowds left in John chapter 6, verse 67. Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? I mean, picture that. Like, really think about what's happening. There's been massive crowds, right? And now they're all just gone. Like they're just slowly walking away. Like I mean imagine again here this morning. If all of you but 12 people just like in the middle of my sermon just were like eh not for me and walked away. <laughs> How would that feel right? And if you're one of those remaining ones. What kind of temptation would it be to be like am I going to be the crazy one who's going to stick with this Jesus guy? Jesus says do you want to go away as well? Love Peter's answer. It's always Peter, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that. How could we leave you, Jesus? You're the Messiah. You're my savior, and you is eternal life. I don't care what anyone else does. You're the Holy One of God. I'm going to follow you. And so right up front, in Jesus' first words to his disciples, he makes it clear. Following him means you're going to walk through hard things, some difficulties so extreme you might be tempted to give up. Persevere. He is the Holy One of God. So if you're a new disciple, you need to pray and ask that the Lord would help you to resolve in your mind right now that no matter what the Lord calls me to, no matter what he asks me to give up, no matter how far out of my comfort zone he wants to bring me, no matter how hard his teaching is for me to hear sometimes, I'm not going to be like those people in the crowds who walked away. Because like Peter said, there ain't nowhere else to go. Church. Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus alone is the Holy One of God. So persevere, persevere. Finally, there's one more word to new disciples that we need to see here, which is that Jesus wants to be your treasure. He wants to be your treasure. Turn back with me to uh, Luke chapter six now. Look in verse 24. It says this, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, these are hard words to hear. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. First of all, we don't really talk like this anymore, right? Woe to you. I don't know if any, any parents, when your kids were out playing in the snow this week and then came back in and said, woe to you children who have tracked mud and snow into my clean floors, right? You don't, we don't really talk like that. What, is woe, what does he mean, woe to you? Woe, basically, these are opposite words that Jesus has used. It's the opposite of blessed. So if blessed means favorable circumstances have come upon you. Woe means disastrous circumstances have come upon you. Which just brings the backwardness of Jesus' teaching into full view, right? Jesus is saying, if you're poor, it means favorable things have happened to you. And if you happen to make it strike it rich, a disastrous circumstance has come upon you. That is what Jesus, the Son of God, says. <laughs> what does that mean? right? That's so far beyond how we think. I imagine I go home to uh, my hometown of, of Archbold, Ohio, and a friend of mine from high school calls me up that I haven't seen in years. He says, hey, man, I want you to come over and, and just meet my family. We'd love to have you over for dinner. So let's say I sh- gives me the address, and I show up, and it's just a mansion, right? Like just four-car garage, pool in the back, like everything you can imagine, like just a, a mansion. Imagine if I said something like, oh, my goodness, man, <laughs> I'm so sorry. What, what happened? I had no idea you were rich. This is awful. Is there anything that I can do to help you, right? I wouldn't say that. I've never heard of someone going on a mission trip to like uh, Beverly Hills and coming back and being like, oh, it was so heartbreaking to see the wealthy conditions that these people were living in. It really makes me thankful for all the things that I don't have, right? Nobody says that. We don't think like that no no none of us okay but that's literally what jesus is saying if you're rich disaster has befallen you if you're happy you're in trouble if everyone likes you oh boy that's really bad news why is that it's because the kingdom of heaven which you are a citizen of if you are in christ is completely upside down from the kingdom of the world please hear me on this the world is filled with substitute treasures things that like riches or popularity things that Jesus talks about that promise fulfillment but will always 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 fail to deliver why because only Jesus can do that and Jesus knows that and he knows how people who maybe have wanted to follow him have seen what their treasures can give them, and what Jesus can give them. And they haven't been able to be broken away from wanting to pursue their treasures. If you're rich, if you're never hungry, pretty much everyone likes you. Which, let's be honest, this is like, especially compared to the world, this is us, right? It's going to be so tempting to try to find happiness in those things, and it's going to be so much harder to recognize your need for a Savior. But happiness is not found in those things. And I think that's the, just the biggest way that our enemy works in our culture is, is uh, just uh, simple distraction. Go after those things if you want to be happy. And then, boop, we go after those things. This is what Ligon Duncan says that Jesus is saying in these verses. He says, let me tell you what happiness is. Happiness is when you have nothing left but me. That's what Jesus is saying. Happiness is when you're dirt poor, but you still have me. Happiness is when the pangs of hunger are so loud that you can't think, but you still have me. Deep, real happiness and blessedness is when you're weeping because the things that are most precious to you in this world have been lost, but you still have me. Happiness is when you've lost everyone because of me, and they hate you, and they revile you, and they've rejected you and spurned you, but you still have Me, because you've learned that I am the only treasure that can't be taken away from you. I'm the only thing that you can walk through this world and be sure of that you're never gonna lose because I will not let you go. So how do we cultivate that attitude when we aren't wanting for much, aren't going around wondering where our next meal is gonna come from, generally liked by a lot of people around you, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, remembering that He wants to be your treasure because He's the only thing that lasts. So let's go back to our original would you rather question. Would you rather be rich and full and happy and popular, or would you rather be poor and hungry and weeping and hated? Apart from Jesus, of course, I'd rather be the first list, right? But with Jesus, man, you think. Earthly riches for a short season can compare to having Jesus forever? You're crazy. You think temporary hunger or sickness matters if I can be satisfied and healed by the King of Kings for eternity? You think momentary grief can compare to everlasting joy? You think the opinion of men about me matters more than the opinion of my heavenly Father who loves me and holds my eternity in his hands? New disciples, Jesus is better. And that's the best thing that I can possibly tell you. Old disciples, Jesus is better. It is far better to endure the most difficult circumstances on earth with Jesus by my side than to enjoy the greatest pleasures on earth without him. And that's hard. It's easy to say, it's hard to believe, right? We need that reminder. And Jesus is so much better. Christian, you are so loved. Jesus wants you to find your joy in him. He wants you to persevere no matter how hard it gets. And he wants you to find your treasure in him. So let's pray as a people who have difficulty with this. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to find our treasure in him, and him alone. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, this is a tough thing to swallow in many ways. It is so hard for me to find my joy and satisfaction and delight in you alone. God, I just confess to you right now my desire for treasures that don't last. So help me, God. Help us. Whether we just started following you, whether we've been following you our whole lives, Help us to see those areas where we're clinging to treasures that are just going to rust and fade away. And help us to grab hold of those treasures that will never rot, that will last for eternity. Thank you, even though this is a hard word, thank you for telling us in your word what kind of treasures we should pursue. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.